This past fall, I sat through a transitional leadership training that was online for a week straight. That's right, eight hours of staring at a computer screen, doing my best to stay focused and pay attention. Originally, this training was offered for those who would seek interim ministry work, but over the years, they've realized just how valuable this training is in general, especially as congregations often find themselves in transition even with permanent leadership as the church overall seems to be in a time of transition. And the pandemic certainly only added to this in greater number. As well as over the years, they've realized one of the main focuses they've been working on through this training is helping congregations to understand their values and thus their overall purpose. In more churchy words, that would be your, vision, your mission statement. They prioritize getting down to the basics. What are the values? What are the priorities? To help congregations to see where their strengths and weaknesses are, as well as how to help envision their future together. It helps them to make sure their priorities and their purpose for ministry align with what they say their values are. As in any case, this is the best way to see any sort of fruitful change or growth moving forward. For if a church decides its purpose isn't something that truly aligns with its values, any ministry that it tries to move forward with, in a sense, is set up for failure. Energy will fizzle out, it won't be kept a priority, and chances are good it will feel like failure to many who aren't then willing to take another risk to try something else. These, this leaves churches in places of being stuck. But truly, if the ministry aligns with what the congregation says their priority values are, there's a greater chance it will at least be taken in a priority itself and have the potential to move forward. It's just easier to do ministry when the values align, when the top priorities are considered and they remain the focus, the purpose of what lies ahead. Quite honestly, this shouldn't be shocking for many reasons, right? We all seem to move, have more energy for the things that we value and the things that we desire. But perhaps even more so, this shouldn't be shocking because it's honestly what we see throughout Jesus's ministry. Jesus understands God's values and priorities. He understands the focus and the purpose of his ministry. In a sense, it is a single focus and he keeps his eyes on the prize and doesn't allow himself to get distracted along the way. Even at the start of his ministry when he returns home, which is where we left off last week. If we remember last week, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, after being baptized and then tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, returns to Nazareth. Now along the way, he's teaching in the synagogues and praised by everyone. Certainly word must have spread by the time he reached home and crowds filled the synagogue there. Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah about bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release of the captives, 
recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolls the scroll back up, sits down, and simply says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today we pick up with hearing that all were amazed by Jesus, and they spoke well of him, to the point which they began to say to one another, Isn't this Joseph's son? Yet maybe they can't even finish that thought before Jesus kind of jumps in at them. His response seems a little out of place and perhaps a little harsh. But Jesus, being so keenly aware of what exactly his mission and purpose and ministry is, recognizes something that perhaps we don't see so easily, both here and in our own congregations. Jesus sees that their priorities don't align. He sees their privilege and the hope of what this means for them over everyone else. He sees that their focus isn't necessarily on what's best for God's purpose, for him or themselves, but rather what's best for, them, for their own purposes. Yes, this is Joseph's son. He's one of their own. They think they'll get special treatment inside information, that they will be the top priority. He's ours, they think. One of us. Certainly, he'll stay. We'll have all these inside contacts. He'll heal all of us first. We'll be the special ones. Only Jesus refuses to be distracted. He refuses to give in to these people he's known pretty much his whole life. He refuses to bend even just a little. Instead, he tells them flat out, you're not going to get any special treatment. His purpose or priority isn't just for them, but it's for the wider world, the whole world. We see this in the examples he uses about the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Both were sent to those outside of Israel, to the wider world, to the bigger picture of God's purpose and hope for the world, to proclaim good news, release of the captive, sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, not just to those in his hometown, but to every town in Galilee, in Judea, and beyond. And well, quite frankly, we can see the people did not like that. In a sense, they were insulted. What do you mean you're not here for us? What do you mean we don't get a priority, that we don't get the special treatment? It was a shock to their system, and the crowd so quickly turns angry that they start to push him towards the cliff. Maybe they felt if they couldn't have him, nobody could. Who knows? Either way, they certainly let their emotions get the best of them. And unfortunately, from time to time, this is seen in churches as well. While we should be so confident our values, our priorities, and our ministry, that they are so faithfully aligned with God's that there is no strife, Unfortunately, that's not always the reality. 
the reality is that first off, we often as churches look for easy answers and easy fixes rather than take the time to actually do the work of determining our values and our priorities and then basing our ministry off of it. We think, oh, that church down the road tried this brand new music program, let's try that here, rather than realize our priority and our value as a congregation is an organ-based music system. But even when we do, churches do the hard work, it does often fail because it means change. Change for those who've been long founding members of the church, change for those who have been in control for many years, change from the way things have perhaps always been done. And this change can sometimes feel like the original congregation isn't necessarily the priority, that they might be losing some of their special privilege. But if we think about what a church is, it's to be built up to go out into the world to gather more into God. Not for me or for you, but for the whole wider world. I don't have priority over Fred, over Joan, over Matt, over Catherine. And so they don't have priority over me or anybody out in the world. And that's what the foundation of ministry is, right? That God is the priority. And so in some ways, churches react like the crowds in Jesus' hometown. We get set in our ways. We want everything the way we want it, not fully being able to acknowledge that maybe God's purpose is different than what we want it to be or what we believe it should be. And so we too, in our anger, our fear, our hurt, or grief, at times try to push Jesus off the cliff. Only nowadays, it mostly looks like attacking leadership teams or pastors or finding some sort of scapegoat that the majority can agree on and pushing them off of whatever metaphorical cliff will get them to remain in control without change and stay comfortable. And it's quite sad, honestly, that human nature remains so much of the same over 2,000 years later. That when we try to prioritize God's purpose, God's work, God's mission that at times, not always, but at times, it can ruffle some feathers because it does often mean change. Even if the change is just comprehending who God is calling us to be, truly understanding ourselves as the body of Christ. I don't think any of us is necessarily immune from it. I think it's something, as humanity, we struggle both inside and outside the church. But I do think in the church there's hope. If we can follow the path of Jesus, anything is possible. Or isn't this what he tells us? All things are possible with God. If we take the time to do the hard work, the foundational work that Christ calls us to and build upon it, there's hope. If we take time to truly determine what our values are as a congregation, determine our priorities from there, and build ministry off of that, there's potential for flourish and growth. It won't be easy. Even with this, there will be some similar reactions to those of the crowds in Nazareth. 
But if we continue to follow after Jesus, remaining focused on our purpose, our ministry, our mission in and for the world, we can move beyond the crowds, the negativity, and continue to move forward in ministry in this time and in this place. Truthfully, it's not just that it's these crowds Jesus disappointed, but others as he moved along the way. Just after this encounter, he goes down to Capernaum, and he heals and he teaches, and they try to insist on getting him to stay. They beg him to remain with them. But he tells them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus is so clear on his purpose that he doesn't get distracted by the crowds, whether angry and trying to throw him off cliffs or begging him to stay and to remain with beautiful praises. As a body of Christ, this is how we should be following after. So focused on our purpose, our vision, our mission, that we don't get distracted or pulled away from discord or praise, but rather move forward in giving glory to God. The friend who is a youth director at a church who, well, they quite honestly didn't do the hard groundwork of what their values and their priorities are, and rather they just decided, oh, we'll say we prioritize youth. And while they had a number of youth any church would envy, the church offered no designated space for them, which meant that every time they met, they'd be in a different room of the church. And sometimes they wouldn't even know until the day of where they would be meeting. Or they'd start gathering in one room and be told they needed to move to another. Everything for the youth pretty much had to be kept in a duffel bag so that it could easily be moved from space to space to space. Over time, it became apparent that it's a nice idea to have youth, as long as it doesn't interrupt other functions and activities of the church. It wasn't truly a priority they said it was, and the ministry took a huge hit, to the point that the youth director resigned over a number of issues. While it was heartbreaking realization, it's one she could more fully come to understand when she found herself serving youth in a new congregation. This congregation didn't have nearly as many youth, but it had both a designated space and the support of other staff and support from the congregation. For they said they valued youth and they meant it because they started with the hard work of determining their values and their priorities and took actions to make that ministry have every potential to flourish. They stayed focused even when they hit obstacles and disagreements, or when others started to get upset when their feathers were ruffled a bit, when some threatened to leave the church because of space use and changes of things. And yes, they don't have quite as many youth as the first church that she served, but the program is stronger as it's a priority and a focus of the church. 
It has a greater potential to flourish and to bring Jesus to these young people in a way that they feel welcomed, included, and valued. Certainly a proclamation of the good news. They followed in Jesus' example of staying focused on this purpose, on their values, on understanding their priorities. And may we all be willing to do this hard work build upon the foundation of Christ and align our mission with Jesus so strongly that the threat of cliffs or the bags of remaining don't distract us from our one true call, to follow after the one who never took his eyes off of God in the kingdom of heaven. Alleluia. Amen.